0: everybody. Um, Thank you so much for tuning in. I am so excited uh, that you're here today on Comedians Exposed. I'm your host Deanna Kobe and I have a very special guest today. This person uh, has their comedy roots based in the East Coast and now is based in the West Coast. I am so excited to welcome my very dear friend to Comedians Exposed, Paula Odysseus. Welcome, Paula!
1: Thank you so much, Deanna. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you so much for uh, taking time. Again, you are on the West Coast. She's based in California now, so three-hour time difference. You know, it's... uh, Big change. So thank you for being being able to make time into your schedule. How are things been? How have you been surviving a global pandemic?
1: Um, I am very grateful. I, um, I, I am, I am surviving. I don't know if I'm thriving, but I'm surviving. I've, I've been, I moved out to Los Angeles about three weeks before the pandemic to start a new job. And, um, you know, so the past year has been like a lot of transitions and um, I think having a lot of life changes to kind of focus on uh, in addition to the pandemic maybe distracted me a little bit. So I don't know, I'm all over the place, but but yeah, I'm, I'm doing okay. I feel like I said, I'm feeling grateful. I'm, I'm grateful that I have like a home. I have like a, you know, uh, a job right now and that i love and you know i i am hoping i got vaccinated i'm hoping that i have a chance to see um my family to go back east for a little bit because now it's been over a year and a half and um, i'm ready i'm ready for hugs i'm ready for
0: you know yeah, right. Though the, i think uh, i was reading an article today about how um you know this woman was writing about how she recognized how much unwanted touch she experienced on a daily level like like she recognized it because she we haven't had touch and you know for some people especially like if you are a touchy feely person it's really hard not not having that ox what is it the oxytocin I think dopamine all of it yeah and I'm
1: definitely like a touchy-feely person that's definitely I I like touch so it's been it's been a little bit it's been a little bit tough um yeah like if a dog runs up to me in the park and like knocks by my leg I'm like okay (laughs) (laughs) I'll take it (laughs) it's um yeah I just kind of want to hug everyone that's kind of that's kind of where I'm, where I'm at right now. I
0: know, I, especially you feel it like uh, the energy in the air with the vaccination rollout, you know, uh, the energy is very palpable. And I feel like people are ready to kind of just reconnect and, you know, it's going to be fun. So first off, though, I just wanted to ask if you could tell everybody where we could find you on social media. Sure. Uh, you
1: can find me on Instagram at Paula underscore Odysseus. Oh, that's probably probably the best place. Um, some other places too, but I'm not really active.
0: So right now that's, that's where you can find me. (laughs) I feel, you know, um, social media personally is very hard for me to manage, you know, and I know I see some people who are so active on so many platforms and I give them so much credit but it's like you know I like myself Like my preferred is Instagram I feel like it's so nice and it's a little bit more like palatable for the the psyche so which is what we're going to talk about so I the whole basis of the podcast is talking to comedians about you know comedy and vulnerability um you know, because I kind of personally feel the two really lend themselves really nicely. Um, what about you? What about doing comedy for you? Do you feel vulnerable doing comedy? Absolutely. It's, yeah. uh, it's probably,
1: uh, it's. Co- I think comedy is what has allowed me to be more vulnerable. But also there was vulnerability kind of required to start doing it. I started it later in life. I uh, started it when I was going through a divorce. I had really lost kind of my sense of self, my sense of identity and, and uh, comedy was my way of keeping busy, uh, but also forcing myself to kind of face and with humor, a lot of the stuff that I was trying to process and go through. Uh, so yet yeah, to me, it's so wrapped up in vulnerability. It really is like, and, and I think and I you and I have discussed this before, just that those real vulnerable moments, that's where a lot of times like the best comedy comes out of, you know, whether it's sadness, whether it's happiness, whether it's shame, whether it's guilt, like all all that vulnerability is kind of where uh, the comedy like starts or like it, it's like, it's born there. And then you kind of gotta, then you gotta make it your own and I don't know, if, if this is making sense, but yeah, it's, it's, it's all about the vulnerability.
0: <laughs> what would you say then? Like one of your first jokes where you felt like that, that was the connection where you're like, okay, this is a really strong emotional issue for me, but you realize like that's where the comedy uh really, because, you know, especially I felt for me, like my joke writing, like, When I first started comedy, I initially like sat down and was like, I'm going to write a joke. And I would like set up punchline. And it was like so disconnected, I felt, because there wasn't, you know, it wasn't jokes for me because it wasn't relevant to me. So when was it for you? What was the experience where you had the connection of it being relevant to your emotional capacities?
1: Um. I mean, I would say probably when I talked about my divorce and and talked, um, that's, that's probably where it, where it started. And I've also, but there's a lot of things because I've dealt with my body image and I've dealt with my divorce. And I think, uh, I've dealt with my, um, my dad passing away, like it all in kind of ways that I've tried to find again the humor and all of it and um so and maybe I'm all over but but those are three those are actually three examples of kind of areas in my life where I've made jokes to you know to kind of deal with those issues
0: yes yeah and what was that after doing the jokes how did how did the jokes help you process going through those issues or you know the things that you were working through so,
1: and actually, as we're talking, I've, I've noticed that over time, as I'm working things through, uh, they go from being a little bit less painful. It's almost, maybe it's like, kind of like, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy exposure, you know, the more you kind of process it, um, you know, the more you practice it on stage, the more you refine it, the more it becomes a, a way to share or like relieve the tension of it with and share that with an audience. I think it becomes easier to process. Does that, does that answer your question?
0: It's the desensitization aspect almost like um, I'm just going to use the, the point for me, like what I'm, what resonates like, you know, how in rap music, like, people there was the use of that word n-word and like some people were like oh why is it happening but it was like that argument of using it is reclaiming it taking the power back um so to me that's kind of what sounds like what you were you know kind of along the same veins of just kind of like where you know just you reclaim the power and the ownership over it because you see the narrative Absolutely.
1: That's definitely what it is. It, it is. It's empowering. It's empowering to oneself when you're able to share that piece of yourself and own it and accept it. Uh, because usually there's shame in it. Usually, you know, for me, there's a divorce. There's, you know, there's, there's a lot of pressure, I think on people to have a marriage and to make it work. And so when it doesn't, you know, it's, it's, uh, almost always a failure of both people, you know, not, Again, not really. For so many different reasons, I guess. I don't want to. I don't want to go into too much detail. We don't have like the four years to talk about this. But um, yeah, but it's that. That's kind of where it's at. That's what I would say.
0: Yeah, especially I feel like for me, like I was trying to like think more in terms like as I'm working on this podcast, what is vulnerability? And I feel like for me, a lot of times shame also is an emotion that pops up. And, you know, you totally I totally understand what you were saying about the more often you say something, you know, it just kind of like eventually you like work through it and you get past it. You know, um, like I feel like now that is a lot of my comedy of what I'm working on myself now is kind of like stuff where it's like rooted in shameful experiences, you know, particularly based about, against the current narrative of our current climate because things have changed so much over you know the course of my lifetime so it's like really you know thinking about that but it makes you uncomfortable so how do you navigate this how do you navigate your views in a changing landscape
1: um I think you know I think there has to kind of be a decision to to face all of your warts, right? I think I've heard that other comedians have kind of said that. So, you know, that has to be, there has to be a resolution there. I think if you, the the comedians, in in my opinion, who are uh, the most powerful are the ones who really are coming from that, you know, that place where they're they're showing, showing themselves in all aspects of themselves. Um, I, I think personally, I grew up very, I was very nerdy, you know, I was like, you know, a good student, a little lazy, um, but like, you know, a a good student. And I think I kind of had this mold my whole life of like having to fit into this picture perfect, you know, who this person is, like, you know, you have to be a professional, you have to be, you know, perfectly kind and perfectly truthful and perfectly uh, perfect all of the time, right. And so comedy um, is I think for me, for who I have been or who I, who my outside outer shell has kind of been my whole life is pro- for me, a, a, it almost surprises me sometimes, you know, but I think that I'm doing this, <laughs> you know, I, it, you just have to choose to be uncomfortable and do it because the personal growth in that for me has been, uh, worth that price, you know, it's like, the, we show those parts of ourselves anyway to people. Uh-huh. Um, and sometimes we don't, without consciously doing it. So why not own it? Kind of what you were saying, you know, we, we should kind of own those parts of ourselves. And because then when we see them, we can, we can modify our lifestyles a little bit to kind of indulge the, the, the needs of like that part of ourselves, but maybe in a healthier way. So maybe like. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's making sense. I know i going into, I've read so many books on (laughs) psychology and uh, self-help. I I kind of been, this pandemic has been probably, I, I, it's not good. I don't know what my budget has been for self-help books, but it's been a little excessive, (laughs) I'm pretty sure. And, um, you know, but it's been worth it. It's been worth
0: it because... What drew you to comedy? Like why did you feel out of all the different artistic expressions, what about comedy was the um appealing for you? There are a bunch of things. I mean, I first of all, I love I
1: love comedy. I've always loved comedy. I mean, I I remember listening to and I'm a little bit embarrassed about this, but I was thinking of this like this Adam Sandler comedy tape tape back in the day and like memorizing the whole thing and um you know just kind of repeating it and loving it and 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 loving the reaction like loving like the the um and the only reason i say embarrassed by it because i'm pretty sure like this album like he was like beating up you know a spanish teacher and like it was it was pretty it was it was violent it's probably violent and i and i know he's whatever this i'm just i'm just kind of i'm just thinking about this today so i'm just thinking
0: about though it's like hearing adam sandler and violet like it's like that's where we are you know what i mean cuz you don't normally think of him like he's like, especially because he's the voices and everything like that. So it's interesting right. that you said violent.
1: It wasn't right, and that's what maybe I'm being ex- maybe I'm being a little bit extreme. But it was like there was this one skin. and again, I you know, it was like he was beating up a science teacher, and the science teacher was shouting like biblioteca, and it was like it was just this weird. It was this it was this weird. I don't know why I'm going on about it. I'm now. I think I was just thinking. <laughs> I was thinking about kind of like one of the earliest uh, you know, like comedic influences. And that just was it. It was just kind of like weird. It was just kind of weird, um, you know, humor that was, I think uh, when it resonated with me for whatever reason it resonated with me. Um, and I, and I laughed at it and it, and it it brought me, you know, enjoyment. I don't know, for whatever reason, for whatever reason. So I've always liked comedy, but I mean, I've I've been to so many comedy shows and I never at any point actually really thought, um, I'm also realizing how far of a distraction I just got now. I just, I just knocked myself off the rails, but anyway, (laughs)
0: um,
1: I never thought of myself as being a comedian. I really, I really never did. And, uh, but before a few months before I took my first comedy class, I was at Gotham Comedy Club, and on the table um, there was it was like, "Oh, take a comedy class!" Like, and I was like, "That sounds like a really fun thing to do," and I kind of had it in the back of my mind, um, just as like a just as like a thing to do. Uh, so when when we, when I decided or when we decided that we were going to separate, and we were going to get divorced, I was like, "What do I what do I do now?" like, What do I do? And, and I was like, let me just sign up for that class that I saw a few months back. Um, and the first time I got on stage, I went to the first class, and he was like, the teacher's like, I'll just write some stuff, get on stage, that's all it's about. And I was like, I don't know about this, I don't really get it. Uh, but I did my first mic, and I got a reaction from the audience, and I was hooked. I was hooked, I was hooked. It was like, like people will listen. People are listening to me. They're listening to me complain about, you know, how I'm feeling, but also we're connecting, you know, um, you know, they're feeling the frustration with me. They're feeling the, the, the fact that I can laugh about it now. It's like this, this like energy that I can't, it's hard to really explain what it is to people who haven't done it, but I know you, know, you you know what it is, but it's like, mm-hmm. it's like this exchange of just um, energy between an audience and you. And so that, that really was all, it really started, I guess, again, I wish we could edit this and I'm probably the worst person to start with an unedited version. Of the podcast Cause I have a big mouth, uh, but yeah, that, that's kind of what it was. It was, it was, it was really out of curiosity and needing something to do and then realizing, that what I had loved my whole life and probably thought I could never, ever, ever, ever do yeah. with something that was doable if I really wanted it and if it really brought me excitement and joy, and it did. It did in a way that nothing had, nothing yet in this world has
0: done for me. So it's pretty. It's such a weird thing to, you know, do. And again, like there's something so. I don't know, insane about it. Like, even just the nature of the polarity, of how it's so isolating in one hand, because you're up there, you know, by yourself with the microphone, but then it's incredibly powerful of how you connect. Like, that whole, like you said, when you're connecting with people. And it's like because you need the audience, like if you're not solely there on your own, you know, you can't be a comedian without people listening to you and to have that that have that um strangers willing to hear you, willing to listen to you, and then connect to you. It's just such a powerful, intense feeling. And you know, you do get hooked. So, you know, um it definitely brings a lot more to your life, I feel like, than just like looking at it from just solely a perspective of a job. Cause you know, of course there's people who are, Oh, that's my profession. I'm just a comedian, but like this for me, what I want to talk about again is comedy from again, that, that deeper place, that psychological place. Um, and, you know, that's why I was excited that you agreed to sit down and talk with me because I know you and I have had conversations about um, again, the psychology of comedy and, you know, recently Paul and I have been talking about Carl uh, Young and shadow work. And I know Paul, I right, you had looked up before how to say his name, and you said it much, much more appropriately.
1: <laughs> I, I don't I know. know. There, there's, there's some. There is a YouTube video for everything, right? <laughs> I don't know. For, uh, you did. You did a great job. That was great. That was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: like the the gyro gyro, you know. <laughs> it's, you as a creeper, it's Edo. <laughs> Can I have a gyro, please? <laughs> Carl Jung. Carl Jung. We're going to talk Carl about Carl Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I found him, particularly why I, Carl Jung, I find fascinating. Like, I mean, there's so much psychology and comedy because it's like why do people laugh why do certain jokes work in certain spaces and certain times you know it's like how do people respond it's so fascinating but particularly I've been finding a lot of interest in Carl Jung because Carl Jung is you know the father of psychoanalysis he really kind of dives into this idea of exploring one's shadow self and, you know, you were kind of talking about that with showing the complexity of all sides of yourself on stage, which I love. Like, I feel is so amazing when you can see people who kind of just show all of these emotions and all of these capacities of their ability to be a human. Um but it's hard to do. It's really uncomfortable. And I feel like that's a place then that you're really driving into shame and really driving into the possibility of like, how is this going to play out? Um, what about yourself? How? Where do you find in the spectrum? Where do you lie? Do you feel that you are more of a traditional joke writer in the sense of separating the art from the artist and you're like, okay, I'm going to write my jokes, but I'm not really exposing myself or people don't really know who I am. Or do you fall on the opposite end of the spectrum of where people are getting a more authentic version of Paula?
1: I hope that I'm on the ladder. I hope that I'm because I I'm scared as hell every time I get on stage, every time right before I uh, I get the butterflies. I'm nervous, and then I make it through. And like when I make it through, you know, I, I I think people I think people can first of all see that, and I think maybe because uh you know I'm not as experienced as maybe uh, you know a lot of comics, and that is definitely something that I'm working on. Uh, but I also would like to think that you know the the material that I've written that is the most vulnerable is the one that, where I get the reactions and I, the the better, the better reactions. So that's where, that's where I like to go. You know, I guess that, that is where I like to go. I, I know, um, and there are some comedians who are phenomenal, who, who are really, I would say not surface layer, that maybe they just do puns or, you know, and they're brilliant writers. Um, I think my comedy tends to be more, maybe more along lines of storytelling, where I like to give, you know, kind of experiences that I've had or, or things that I've gone through as a kind of way of like really sharing, you know, uh, myself. Maybe I'm an oversharer actually. So that that's that's probably as I'm talking, I'm like, yeah, I'm an oversharer. Um, I like that vulnerability. I, I also like sometimes I do. I like making people a little bit uncomfortable Uh I think, as like a woman in her forties talking about sexuality, for example, I know that that makes some people uncomfortable Um, as a woman who is, is bigger bodied. uh, I talk about that as well. And, and that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. And all of those things make me uncomfortable too at times, because we live in this society that is constantly trying to, uh, tell us, you know, who to be. And and this goes to the shadow self. Actually, I was, I was recently, which, you know, I get so juicy and excited about talking about these things, yeah. uh, but how kind of where like Freud and Carl Jung diverged was that, um, you know, Freud thought, well, almost everything that we do, who we are is based on our childhood. And Carl Jung was like, well, it's, yes, it's based on our childhood experiences, but it's also based on who we want to be. And so, uh, and I think that You know, this idea of who I am was shaped at a very young age, like, you know, um, who I think, who I think I was or who I thought I was probably pre-comedy. And then comedy has kind of allowed me to break down a lot of like, well, what's, what's in that unconscious piece? What's in that shadow? What are those parts of myself that I, uh and again, just to give a summary, and I'm probably not going to give a great summary. I never took a psychology class in college. I will say that I've just done online reading, which does not give me a doctorate in psychology. (laughs) Uh (laughs) But what I love about it is that it's like the the part of ourselves that we, we like to hide, or we don't want to admit that that's a part of us, you know, um, you know, and I think, um, exploring. It makes people uncomfortable when we talk about it. It makes us uncomfortable a lot of times. But then, the, like we talked about the desensitiz- desensitization, the more you do it, the more you realize, um, you know what, it's not that bad. Or maybe the way that I was looking at it was a little too seriously. Maybe I need to reevaluate how I looked at, at that experience that I had and see the humor in it now. Even though I was I was bullied that time, you know what, uh, maybe I was like such a big nerd <laughs> that like, I, I don't know that, it, did I, did I, did I bring some of that onto myself? I don't know. Possibly. I'm not, I'm not, I'm definitely not a proponent for bullying. I think that that is definitely something that has negatively affected me. And, um, but I will say that, you know, there, there are also times where I know that me personally growing up was so fixated on this vision of like having to kind of be this like, perfect person that that was probably really annoying. That was probably a really annoying interview. I might be annoying you right now. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: I think, though, but that's what's nice about comedy and the the parallels with shadow work. Because it's like we are perfectly imperfect as humans. We are going to fuck up. We are going to hurt people. We are going to hurt ourselves. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes not. And that's the reality of the human experience, right? Um, You know, we talk about Buddhism, right? The first noble truth of Buddhism is to live is to suffer. So it's kind of like if you accept these things about yourself, it goes, it kind of circles back to how we were talking earlier, where you're reclaiming the power, you're taking it back. And I really love how like comedy can do that because you're putting yourself out there. You're drawing attention to the things that you're uncomfortable with. Like, you know, like you had mentioned, because I know for me as a woman um, and I don't want to I don't want to gender based body issues because I'm sure there's male comedians, you know, that have issues going on stage with their body. But I just know as well, like going on stage for me, you know be like, that's always something that's definitely wrapped up in my head. And when you're doing comedy, it's like, it becomes less and less. Particularly, I was found, um, I've done a couple roast battles, which I feel is like the ultimate expression of insanity in comedy. Cause you're like, you are like, they're, they're, you're fucking mental. You know what I mean? Like you're, there's something wrong with you to want to do it. But when you do it, it's so empowering because it's like you're gonna stand up there and let somebody say whatever the fuck they want the worst that the worst thing about you and they're going for it and you're gonna let everyone laugh at your expense but when that happens it just feels so utterly freeing and then from that point you're just like i've unloaded that shit i don't give a fuck anymore mm-hmm. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. yeah
1: let it go. You can freaking let it go finally. And a lot of times we're holding on to those things, and you know it's not serving us. It's really not serving us anymore. And that's what. And I, and I think also the beauty of comedy too is that is that again that connection with the audience. is like when the person up there is being vulnerable and putting things out there. You know, maybe somebody in the audience either can, you know can really relate to that or maybe it makes them feel better about things that they're going through or, you know, there, there's just, there is that connection mm-hmm. piece of it, which is why I think that we have an obligation as comedians to, to put all of that vulnerability out there because it has the power to change things. Humor definitely has the power to change things because, um, when you kind of take a step back and realize like, Oh, well, maybe those ways of thinking are ridiculous. They're so, uh, they're so exaggerated to begin with, you know, we, we just, we keep growing, we keep growing in it and it spreads, it spreads in a positive way.
0: You know, one thing um, I wanted to talk about a little bit too, because Carl, Carl Jung, (laughs) <laughs> no, I can't. You're right. Like he's—I think he's German or Swiss, right? So I know it, it's definitely not how I'm saying it. But uh Carl J. <laughs> so apparently, he—you know—and I didn't know this initially. I found this out. He had an affair with one of his patients. And then, you know, he ended up like moving her onto the property and like, but I'm like, okay, that left a really bad taste in my mouth. Like, to me, that's like a classic abuse of power and then thinking like, wow, if this was today, obviously he, there would have been a Me Too situation, you know, on that. And then kind of correlating that with cancel culture, um, wrapping, I know it's a lot all wrapped up together, yeah you know, what is your take on some situation like this? Like looking at like, okay. Cause again, I really value like thinking about Carl Jung's work, but then I also am torn with knowing that he behaved in a predatory way. So it's like about canceling him. What do you think? What's your view on situations like this? And do you keep the person's work? Like how, how do we navigate this?
1: Uh, I think it's a really tough question, and I, I think that each individual person really needs to probably take a look at, you know, that particular, I don't know, creator, artist, uh, intellectual, and make a decision for themselves. For me, I my, I believe that exploring my shadow self or, or thinking about it over, especially the past year, has has helped me uh, identify areas in my myself that I need to change and things that I need to work on and improve. And so even if he was the biggest asshole, the connection somehow, you know, the 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 body of work or or the the art that, that he created or the way he articulated things has helped me and has probably helped a whole bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me. Yeah, and I guess knowing this and I, you know, hopefully he was aware, hopefully while he was doing it, there was some kind of self-awareness and maybe, um, uh, you know, I, I, I want to think the best of everyone. I, you know, I don't know. I don't have enough of the information, you know, to, to obviously it does seem extremely unprofessional and, um, you know, and based on what you're telling me, it sounds like it was predatory. So you know, there's a problem there, but, but the, the work in, in this particular case, um, I think can be separated in my mind. Yeah. Um, and also even maybe, maybe it's an example of how even this brilliant mind who can see all these things still wasn't able to even fully unify his shadow self with, you know, with his his unconscious, with his conscious, you know, consciousness.
0: Um, I feel like it's especially like, it just correlates with so much, especially like, um, you know, because reading about this and then correlated with the release of the Woody Allen um, Mia Farrow. I don't know if you had a chance to watch. I think uh, you didn't get a chance to watch that, but, you know, it's been in the news a lot and, you know, he's again, an example, like, because he has so prolific he's made so many movies you know he, his comedy like for so many people is very meaningful very powerful and you know it, it, there's a lot of discourse around like well what do we do with it do we get rid of it do we not engage with him and you know and it's hard and it's like a case by case basis but it kind of makes me wonder and again i'm not trying to necessarily be so gender specific but Comedy tends to be male-dominated. So looking at this idea of cancel culture, um, do you feel that there's a difference among the outcomes based upon someone's gender in comedy for who's going to be canceled?
1: Uh, I wish I had more specific, you know, examples. They're just, I'm, I'm having... Um, I really think it depends, you know, we like Louis CK got canceled, but then released a private comedy special and was able to generate millions of dollars by releasing it privately. So even I think people who are canceled, uh, if they're, if their fan base is strong enough, you know, sometimes it, it actually helps, it helps them, right? Sometimes it feels like maybe, um, you know, the, the negative press um, is press, you know, so I I, I have a hard time, uh, it, you know, the, the fact that so many people supported him after that, um, I don't know if this is a gender issue, uh, you know, uh, and actually, as we're talking now, I'm kind of trying to think about Roseanne, right, because Roseanne was, uh, was, was, Criticized for like you know tweets that she made, um, and I don't know if she were to release a comedy album. I I, I really so don't have enough canceled, information,
0: right? They because they were going to do the reboot and she got canceled from her. She show. got canceled from that, right? Right. So, you know, and there's Griffin, what too. about Kathy Griffin as an example too? Um, because I felt she got a lot of vitriol for, you know, the joke was poor taste. But I feel like it was a joke and poor taste. And it was like it was Donald Trump. So, you know, he he has jokes and poor taste. Like, you know what I mean? You're gonna play with the dogs, you're gonna lie down with dogs, right? Like, come on, Donald Trump. Like, I felt like Kathy Griffin got so much vitriol for that. And like to me, like Louie, I don't think Louie got canceled. Louie had to sit in time up for a second. So I sometimes feel like this cancel culture whiny bullshit that you hear from some people. It's like, no. Cancel culture to me sometimes doesn't seem real because you look at it like Louis's still around, you know, like Woody Allen, again, with the amount of just, you know, just as much hatred as people have for him, you're getting just as much people defending him. And, you know, even looking about thinking, I'm like, why are we only going after just Woody Allen? Like thinking about how he is a cultural icon we've got to address the whole culture then because people grew up, this is what we grew up on, which is what we were watching. And this is kind of where my question was rooted in. Like, because humor, do you feel that humor, we are socialized to have our senses of humor or do you think humor is truly something that is just psychological, that we're just tapped into our like primordial instincts?
1: I think it's probably a mixture of both. I think it's like the nature and nurture, right? I mean, I do think, um, I think about my nephew and him laughing at things and kind of having a sense of humor at only, you know, not even three years old yet. I don't know, like the other day he was making fun of me because, because I like you know, whenever he's calling, cause they're on the East coast, I'm usually in bed in the morning. So he was like, he was basically roasting me my, my three-year-old nephews roasting me. Um, and, but it was adorable to see, right. You know, it's, there's like this, there is like a natural, I think, instinct to kind of, um, show love by teasing in, in some ways. Um, and then there's also this, um, Societal. I don't know if I'm answering your question directly, but there's also this kind of societal, and this definitely changes over time. You know, look looking back at like TV shows. I know we've discussed this before. Um, you know, some TV shows that maybe don't always or weren't completely sensitive at the time they were made, and that maybe they don't last more than like a, a generation or a decade, uh, or they, they don't they don't withstand the test of time. Um, And, you know, I think actually I want to also go back to something you said about cancel culture isn't real. I think it's just it's that it's divisive. Right. It's that it's that somebody usually makes a moral decision that half of the people think is reprehensible and Um, and then it seems maybe not half, I'm just throwing out numbers, but like a big percentage of people think it's reprehensible. And then a big percentage of people are like, well, maybe it's not that bad, probably because either they're doing something like that themselves and they, they don't want to really acknowledge how, um, go back to the shadow self, like kind of how, how they're also maybe culpable for, for things. Um, you know, it's so hard again with cancel culture with anything to generalize. It's so hard to generalize because yeah. every situation is factual. I mean, if we, Benjamin Franklin, I think, had made all these inventions and I, you know, I, again, I'm not going to sit here and talk about, I don't know enough about Benjamin Franklin, but you know, I'm pretty sure that there are things, you know, talk about Thomas Jefferson who will slaves. I mean, you know, there, there are, there are people who, you know, were such an integral part uh, you know, you think about history, right. You think about, um, democracy you think about you know, you know so many so many things that are, that affect us every day were created or attributed to human beings who are flawed who are you know and i also think that the people who are at that extreme level are probably the most flawed because they're probably seeking the most validation and i think that when we do that we oftentimes suppress a big part of ourselves and then it just comes out in Comes out in other in other weird uncontrollable kind of ways. Um, so again, it's kind of fact specific. If somebody's if somebody's contribution to society makes it better and can improve things, I have such a hard time. Um, or I have an easier time, I think, separating maybe the artist from the art. Mm-hmm. I
0: feel I, it's such a challenging thing to do because you know, just going back to our talk about our shadow selves, like, you know, we, and particularly to like not wanting to be coming from a place of judgment, you know, um, because especially if you're judging others and you're clearly judging yourself and it's like, you know, thinking about like, I think that was a lot of the work that Carl Jung was wanting to approach. Like, it's like, okay, accept those things about you. And like, again, like you said, like, just eventually it just becomes like desensitized. Um, but it, it's hard. It, it, it's kind of, sometimes I feel like worried because comedy is so much sharing what you're thinking and how you interpret the world. And you're putting out there the potential that what you're saying is not only going to be viewed as wrong, but viewed see but this is where I guess too because cancel culture, I don't know if it necessarily, I mean it does target people for what they say. So it's kind of just like I don't know, I, I don't know if like do, do we need a new term? like do we need to differentiate more with what's happening out there? Like I feel like that would be for me like, you know, I, I wish we stopped generalizing, you know,, um, because like you said it's really hard to talk about this stuff in generalizations and particularly too you think about um you know how you mentioned earlier when you were saying like you were a nerd and you maybe kind of brought some of that on yourself you know i kind of think about like the complexity of our own culpabilities in our current situation in society. You know, how it's like we are socialized to be how we are and we do certain things and we engage in behaviors. Like you said, oh, like someone, like half of us, 50% might be okay with it. But that makes complete sense that it's like thinking about, you know, everybody has good qualities and bad qualities. So just kind of like, I guess the question I want to ask is like, what would you say to people you know, who are on complete opposite sides of everything to bring them to a place where they could have greater understanding.
1: I wish I, I wish I really knew the answer to this because it's been something that has been frustrating me. I think over the past four or five years with, uh, this country feels more divided to me than it's ever felt to me before. Uh and, and I want to go just quickly go back to the whole cancel culture. There is times when it's the content of the art and also when it's the individual and there probably are distinctions between the two. So like if, um, you know, material becomes culturally insensitive, I think, you know, I think we grow. I, I do think that we grow. I think, um, you know, and we have to be allowed to make mistakes and to grow. Um, and so I do think a lot of times what it comes down to is the intention when two people with opposite views are are meeting, right? It's what is the intention behind it? If the intention is to really learn to try to understand where this person is coming from um, and, uh, you know, then I think there's a really different conversation than when people are just kind of digging into the ground and taking a position just to take a position just to win. In, in that case, I think there is a lot of, you know, um, underlying ego that comes into it and there's not really a kind of exchange of truth. Uh, I do think, and this is my theory, again, this is, a, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to go too much into politics, but I do think that a lot of times what divides people is fear and people are afraid of different things. So kind of having compassion for people's fears and maybe offering an alternative solution to how that individual can cope with those fears or address those fears is really a critical piece of it. You know, it's, it's like it to, to think that, race is something that causes or, or economics is something that causes a person to be good or bad is such a dangerous thing. Because again, we go, goes to generalizing, right? Mm It's, it's that the person who is, who is doing that is afraid of something they're afraid of being hurt or attacked. And for them to have a really tangible, um, Enemy, I think, maybe helps some people, but the reality is that, that 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 road of you know not understanding people as individuals, not listening, not coming together, not trying to understand what is motivating this uh this negative thought or or this fear. Um if if two people with opposite views can can really be open-minded. I think usually there's a way, and as, as we're talking, you know, I, I've done mediations before, and I love when parties come in and they were they're really, uh, you know, pissed off at each other, and then at the end, like they they shake hands or they walk away. Like it was always something that I loved, you know, in mediation was settling settling things, settling things where people didn't have to to fight, you know, to go to court, to, you know, to do things. Do um, you think comedy you could help? use comedy to do that? Uh, I hope so. I really do. I really do. I really, I, um, like I'm still learning and, but, but as I'm, as I'm changing, I would love to be able to try to always kind of have the intention of wanting to be, to spread positivity. And it's not always, it's not always the case. And there are certain times when jokes come out that like, you just need to dig into somebody. And then I feel, I will feel bad about it, but it needed to be said because it was the truth
0: (laughs) or, you know, it's it's, Why do you feel bad about it? If it was the truth?
1: uh, Because, because in studying some Buddhism and, and uh, you know, right speech, which is that things need to be true. They need to be um, kind. That's it's, you know, it really comes down to the, the kindness piece of it, right? Like you are being kind necessary to hear the truth, right? That's, yes. Yeah, that is. And these true. are my <laughs> these are my own issues, and again, this is what I'm working on. I'm definitely working on this piece of it, and not always attaching that shame. But I, but I do think I think it I think as comedians we have to be uh, always willing to understand that. You know, just like we can look back at events and make them comedic and as a way for us to deal with that, there are going to be times where maybe we said things, um, sorry, ooh, um, where maybe we said things that were, I'm so sorry, I should have turned my ringer off. I'm. That okay. was very unprofessional, I apologize. Um, yeah, I lost my train of thought. I, you know, where, where we, yeah, we just, I lost my train of thought. Completely. There's
0: going to be certain time. <laughs> where we have to. Okay. I totally lost it, girl. I'm sorry. <laughs> and
1: maybe it'll come back. Maybe it'll come back. Well,
0: because um, when you're talking about being positive and kind, right? you know, like sometimes, you know, yes. yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I remember. Yes.
1: Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, where maybe we realized in that moment, maybe we were not, maybe our intentions weren't completely pure, right? Maybe we were acting out of anger or frustration. Um, you know, uh, you know, that is one thing I've, I've, some of my jokes even have evolved where I, you know, I realize that the intention of it, maybe in, in the beginning when I wrote it was different than the way that I want, the way that I want to, let's say, convey that message at a later time. Maybe it's more sensitive to somebody or maybe it's softer to somebody or maybe it's harder on somebody, you know, with time. So it really does depend. There's always, you know, time and perspective changes so many things. And and I think it's just like a constant, it's like a constant evolution. It's constant like pulling and pushing and yin and yang and, you know, balance and you know, all the suffering and and joy and figuring out where it is among the spectrum. I'm throwing a lot of stuff out. No, but
0: I feel like that perfectly summarizes what comedy is. You are going to enjoy it. And then you are going to fucking (laughs) suffer. And you are going to eat a pile of dick. And (laughs) y'all get up and try it again the next day. Yes. 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 Overall though, what would you say, um, Doing comedy, what has it brought to your life?
1: Oh, my stomach just
0: my stomach just
1: felt like I got got a little butterflies. I you know, it's brought me freedom. It's really brought me freedom. Um, it's brought me self confidence. It's brought me uh, amazing friendships. It's brought me pain. In a lot of ways, because it's really forced me to look at myself and try to figure out, um, you know, the source of a lot of suffering. And we talked about you know Buddhism a little bit, um, and you know, it's given me a lot of tools to kind of help. I think start attacking or clearing the clearing the spiritual pond a little bit, you know, of like some of the muck in there. Um, so. Um, I mean, for me, honestly, I, I cannot imagine the past couple of years without it in my life. I don't, I don't imagine, I, I just really can't imagine my life without it. Yeah. Um, so I'm, gra- I'm grateful for that. And yeah, well, so.
0: I want to say I am grateful to you for being willing to sit down and talk with me. And also too, I wanted to let everybody know That in addition to being able to listen to the podcast on, you know, Spotify and Patreon and other places, you're going to now be able to watch uh, the video. So we're, yeah, Paula and I are going to be on YouTube. So I was so excited that, again, I could have you on as my guest for the first uh, live video. I don't know. It's not live. a video on it's gonna be on YouTube a YouTube channel so thank you Paula thank you for having me <laughs> again would you just let everybody know again one more time where they could find you on social media sure uh
1: come say hey at, at on Instagram at Paula underscore Odysseus O-D-Y-S-S-E-O-S um and yeah I, I this has been an amazing experience I I hope I didn't ramble on to
0: No, not at all. Like I said, I was so excited because again, like, you know, especially like we have such great, you know, Paul and I are very good friends and we have really good conversations. And I was really happy again to talk about like, again, the shadow work, because I love again, the psychology of comedy and you know, I love the fact that you'll engage with me. And, you know, I, I'm a nerd myself, too. I think the whole nature of this podcast is super duper nerdy, where I'm like, oh, let's talk about what you're scared of. Oh, You know, it's like, oh, my God, everybody else is like, podcasts are fun and funny. And I'm like, hi, guys. I feel uncomfortable, you know, so I'm happy that you engaged with me.
1: <laughs> I'm really thankful. I, I don't think we can have comedy without that suffering, without that, without that, um, sadness or that yeah so we kind of
0: need that we need that right that that yeah. happy clown what's the the opera with the clown oh
1: i don't know opera but i know, I, know yeah i'm
0: talking about i know what you're talking about i'm okay. just
1: not i'm not down enough with the Met to know <laughs> yeah. so, so.
0: Uh, well Paula again thank you so much for being my guest today. I really appreciate you. And I love thank talking you for to you. Me.
1: I appreciate you too and I love this and thank you again so much. have a wonderful night and yeah I don't know what do we do?